listen to this bullshit. This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch. The beauty of the bond. We exist without nationality, skin color, or religious bias. You wage wars, murder, cheat, lie to us and try to make us believe it's for our own good. We are the criminals. Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. I am a hacker and this is my... Huh? Right? You may stop me, but you can't stop us all. Oh, that's cool. Cool? Yeah, cool. You think it's cool? It's cool. It's not cool. It's commie bullshit. everybody and welcome to Generation Lost, the show where we watch movies. And I'm Bryn and he's Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is. You know what it Generation is. Generation Lost. That's why you're listening to it. And uh, we're going to talk about... <laughs> That's why you're fucking here. <laughs> don't act like you just showed yeah, up. Yeah, why else the fuck are you listening to this shit if you don't know what it is? Trying to play it off like you're like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be what in here. What, did I, what, what am I getting myself into? Oh, no. <laughs> Somebody guide me through this. Like the first time you show up to like an AA meeting or something, you're just like, hey, what's going on in here, everybody? <laughs> Whoa, a meeting, huh? Yeah. When like high school kids like pretend like they didn't mean to walk into the sex store, be like, yeah. oh, what are these things? What, can someone help me understand what this is? Is this pornography? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So anyway, Merry uh, Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. <laughs> um, yeah, Hanukkah is still, still blazing on. Yes. Um, and I have no idea if that's true. It is. But... Yeah, yeah, we're on the fifth or sixth night okay, tonight. So when this comes out, we'll, it'll be over. It's mm-hmm. eight, right? So it's hope... Friday. So six. It'll be the last night of Hanukkah, I believe. <gasps> oh, well, happy last the night of Hanukkah. The best one, in my opinion. <laughs> is that when... Um... Presents come, yeah? No, presents come every night. Oh, I don't know. It's usually like you get like a little thing every night or whatever. But like my family barely celebrated it. Um, You're Jewish. I'm half Jewish. Okay. And so my family barely celebrated. We would do like one dinner. And that's what we do now. We even did it this year before Hanukkah even started. Oh, yeah? Usually like most secular families will just do like whatever. whatever. We get together. We have some latkes. We hang out. That's it. Okay. Uh, I like a latka. But then, like the real the real heads, they will do like every night something. Um, do the menorah? I do the menorah every night. Oh, you yeah, do. Where uh-huh. is it? it's in the kitchen by the oh, window. Okay. I'm gonna take a look because you it gotta you gotta let the neighbors know. <laughs> That's part of it. It's part of it. The menorah's got to be in the window. Oh, okay. Because the neighbors got to know that there's Jews in the house. It's a propaganda holiday. <laughs> This is a missionary uh, experiment. Yeah, and it's about, um, I think it's also about like letting other Jews know that they're not alone in the neighborhood. Oh, that's nice. I think that's part of it, too. I don't know. Yeah. What do I know? Well, I just know that it goes by the window. That's really all I <laughs> well, know. Well, it's winter and the holidays are happening. It's yeah. going to be New Year's soon. I don't know if there'll be another episode before the New Year. Um, I don't think so, no. I right. sound like Chucky from Rugrats. 
my nose is all stuffy. I was almost sick for Christmas, but I didn't get sick for Christmas. Um, but I did watch a lot of stuff. Yeah. So what did you watch? Uh, so right after we finished recording last week, yep. I jetted off to uh, Syndicated in Bushwick, um, which is a really lovely movie theater that you should go to sometime because you'd really enjoy it. I bet I would. But it's like this little theater that shows like two movies a week and um, it's usually just like some old thing, whatever. Uh, and then around Christmas, they'll do a couple of Christmas movies. And so this year I went to go see Home Alone on film on a big screen. Chris Columbus, John Williams. Yeah. Mac. Wild, wild you know, stars aligning sort of thing there. Yeah. Uh, because as I understand it, Chris Columbus wasn't originally supposed to be the director. That's right. It was supposed to be John Williams, or not John Williams, uh, John Hughes. Yes. And, he wrote uh, it. Or, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's all this shit. Just, anyways, the point is that I went to go see it uh, on the big screen. I hadn't seen it in a few years. And the last time I'd watched it, I'd watch it with children. So it wasn't exactly like a uh, a good viewing experience. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually... I mean, I've, I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I've ever watched it in like a theater or in, a, in a place where I was like, quote unquote, paying attention. Yeah, but I would I, recommend it because I DM'd <laughs> you right afterwards yeah. and I was like, Bryn, Home Alone is like a damn near perfect movie. <laughs> like, I don't think that it's a good movie necessarily. It's uh-huh. still definitely a kid's movie. But I think for what it is, it, like it is so pitch perfect on every single point that it mm-hmm. makes like there's no fat on the thing every scene and it's like rare that you see that in a kid's movie where yeah. like every scene is doing something every single part of it is like making the next thing happen which is making the next thing happen and i didn't realize this either that like you always think of it as being mostly about like the home defense portion that's right. like a very small part of the movie there's a lot before that and there's a lot after it's yeah Good movie. I always remember the thing I always liked was John Goodman in that movie. No, uh, John, uh, John Candy. Candy. Yeah, yeah. Um, John Candy, absolute like show stealer in the scenes <laughs> yeah. he's in. I remember even as a kid, I was like this weird pol- polka band. Yeah, uh-huh. like that was my favorite part because it was the funniest. Yeah, and it just seemed like a weird fantasy world where like <laughs> these guys riding around in the back of trucks and like kind of made me think look at like airports and all of these trucks that I would see mm-hmm. in LA would be like, are there polka people in there? Like what the <laughs> hell is going on in the world? Apparently all those scenes were improvised. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Like they knew he was going to be like a polka guy. And then the rest of it is just like, you know, John Candy, just like fucking riffing. Just, just do it, you know, <laughs> just be John Candy for a little while. That's crazy. And he just absolutely kills it. And I almost wish the, the one thing is I wish that a director had said to him like, no, it's funnier if, your polka band is moderately successful because <laughs> the whole be thing funny. is that he's like, come on, you haven't heard of me, the polka guy, whatever yeah, he's yeah. called. But then he's like, come on, we sold 200 records in Milwaukee. And you're just like, well, obviously then he's he just would. like the sad delusional man. It's much funnier to me. I think if he is a successful polka artist, but then it's just like, no, one but cares. he's a polka artist. Yeah. No, one I, I, Never really had a take on Home Alone. It was just like a thing. Yeah. I definitely used to think of it as like a novelty movie mm-hmm. where like once I kind of grew up and stopped watching it for, as a kid, it was like a very like, oh, the mousetrap movie. Right. right. But I do remember a lot of the scenes like with the where she's trying to sell her earrings at the airport. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. You have earrings at home, the dangly ones. Yeah. And it's all I, I, I remember the parents 
arcs being more important. Mm-hmm. And then the kids almost, the kid at home is just sort of um, almost comic relief. Of, right, like, exactly. The rest of the movie. That's the other thing that I came out of it thinking was that I kind of wish that the parents had played it straighter. Because yeah. there's definitely a sense from them that they are trying to play it a little easy because ultimately this is going to be a kid's movie and a fun holiday romp and it can't be too serious where like she's actually worried that her kid is going to die or something, you know? I actually watched a, my friend, my other friend who is not on this podcast, (laughs) um, also went to the same screening you went to and immediately went to Facebook and posted a making of documentary of Home Alone. So I Uh watched that and um, they were talking about how John Hughes had found Macaulay Culkin. Right. And he was in Uncle Buck. And he had basically ca- recommended him for casting to Chris Columbus once he wasn't directing it anymore. Right. And that's how he got involved with that. Um, and it's really weird because he was like, oh, well, this is, just makes the movie easy now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's an unbelievable talent. Too. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin in his prime was like... Once in a lifetime. He's a very charming kid. He's the Barack Obama of child actors. <laughs> what does that mean? Just like a like a once in a lifetime charisma. Like you just really oh, don't sure. see that yeah. every day. <laughs> he like, does it. Like him yeah. or not, like you got to admit, Mac has some serious fucking. Yeah, he charisma. rolled a Max charisma role. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I was gonna say is John Hughes. A lot of Johns the, to keep track the of. The old in this man one. wasn't in the script. Oh, yeah. But he's, like, such an important part of that movie, I think, in terms of, like, Max' um, emotional Mm -hmm. sort of thing, where he, like, gets saved, and that guy has a... um, He's got an arc reconnection with his daughter. Son and... and, uh, Or maybe daughter, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think it's son and granddaughter. Yes, yes, that's it, that's it. Anyway, uh, rewatch it, because something is very funny in... It's a very one-sided thing that's happening because it's an old man talking to a literal child. Yeah, like it's the kid doesn't littlest care. kid there ever was. And the the old man's basically just talking to himself at Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> and if you watch it through that lens, it's very funny. <laughs> because you just watch him. He like sits down next to him at church and he's just like, "You know, my 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 son and I were we're not really connected anymore." And Macaulay Culkin's like, "Well, that's a shame." <laughs> Anyway, Gosh, I would recommend darn. I would recommend rewatching it. Anybody listening, rewatch it as an adult. So my friend who is still in the film industry, um, he sort of likes to make playlists. We'll go to his house and just like hang out for five hours, and like stuff will just be on. But it's like we do watch it, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we end up always watching a lot of different stuff. But he put on a playlist that had uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV Christmas special. Okay, where like. It's not a cartoon. It's That's the live, live action, action ones from the movies? No. They're Ooh. different suits, and they're a thousand times worse. Whoa. And they have, like, Italian voices or something. What? They're like, hey, Michelangelo. Hey, what's up? And it's awful. Yeah, well, because the, like, the voice actors were, like, big names Right, in but the they're movies. all in the show, or in this, like, TV special. Uh-huh. It's, like, kind of like watching salty Remember Salty, the Christmas... Uh, no, no. A Bible Man? <laughs> no. It has, like, that level of um Is it, like, uh, like Super Mario Bros. Super Show Show? Way worse. Or whatever uh, Super Mario Bros. Super We're talking show. about, like, Disneyland costumes. You know what okay. I mean? Like, real bad. <laughs> wow. And then, like... And then kids, like, dancing and stuff, and they're just, like, 
throwing pizzas around. It's hilarious. <laughs> but then we watched uh, Emmett Otter's Christmas special. Okay. You ever seen that? That's the one that's like a puppet one, right? Yeah, that's Jim Henson. Yeah. Um, and that's just a little cute story about an otter, basically a gift in the magi kind of situation where a little otter is trying to buy something for his mom and mm-hmm. his mom is trying to buy something for her son and they both enter a singing contest uh, to win enough money to uh, How get the prize. How convenient. Yeah. A they... singing otter joins a singing contest. <laughs> yeah. But then a, um, an out-of-town rock band wins and I, both of them lose. <laughs> it's really sad. And then they both like, but then it all kind of works out. And then we watched Muppet Christmas Carol, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. So good. I rewatched that, too. Really? Yeah. It's so good. It's really, really fantastic. And uh, what's his name? Michael Caine is is really good in it. Well, I was going to say, speaking of playing it straight, yeah. <laughs> like Michael Caine said in an interview when that movie came out that he was pretending that the Muppets were like the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> he was just like... No, this is a serious movie, and yeah. it, like you can't it works pre- so well. You can't pretend like, oh, I'm a goofy guy with goofy Muppets. He's like, no, I'm a real guy. Yeah, it rules. <laughs> it's he does such a good job in that movie. He does. It really it works so well that it's just completely dead serious. Yeah. Um. And but all and the thing is, is that all the Muppets are playing it serious too, kind of. Yeah. But it's like they're cast in a movie, mm-hmm. like. And they sometimes break the fourth wall. There's a lot of weird framing devices where Gonzo is playing Charles Dickens, narrating the movie to you, yeah. the audience. But he has to be physically in the story. So there's a lot of weird stuff where he's like hitching a ride onto the story. <laughs> it's like a very weird device that I don't think I've seen really often. Right. Um, but it works really, really well. So there's all this funny stuff. But then the, the serious stuff is really sad. Like the scene where where like Tiny Tim sings a little song yeah. about his like how nice it was to have this like little Christmas Eve dinner. Yeah, it's, like, when um, a very the, upsetting. I don't remember if it's the ghost or Gonzo who says like, "Yeah, Tiny Tim will die." Yeah, this is a Muppet movie, and they're just straight up like, "Oh yeah, he'll die if nobody does anything." Yeah, and, and like, they can't do anything. And Scrooge asks the Ghost of Christmas Present, and he's like, "What'll happen to him?" And he's like, "Well, he seems like he could die, but..." And then he quotes him from the beginning of the movie. He's like, "If he's gonna die, he better do it and reduce the surplus population." Yeah, <laughs> and Scrooge is like, "Fuck, I'm an asshole." <laughs> Yeah, it's great how much of old Christmas media was genuinely anti-capitalist. Yeah. Or at least, like, had, like... No, I'd say actually, like, I mean, not ideologically, but, like, thematically, almost always the lesson is that capitalism is anti-Christmas. And then somewhere around, like, the 80s, I guess, or maybe the the 70s, is when they just switched it, and they're just like, no, actually, it's about toys, and everything's about toys. (laughs) Apparently... I don't know if this is true. My friend told me recently when we were watching mm-hmm. the, the the Muppet Christmas Carol that uh, Lennon's wife read the actual Christmas Carol to mm-hmm. him, uh, like basically on his deathbed, and he like kind of liked it, but was annoyed at it, calling it like a uh, bourgeois coddling. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't he didn't think it was like perfectly ideological, but apparently liked it a little bit. Yeah, she, she liked must it. have. <laughs> um, How could you not? Get out of here. Come on, Lennon. Come on. Chill out. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a beautiful... And Paul Williams 
writer of such beautiful songs as uh, Rainy Days and Mondays Always Get Me Down does the music. He did a lot of Carpenter's music and mm-hmm. um, some music for Barbara Streisand's The Star is Born. And this movie was basically, they asked him to do it a few months after he came out of rehab because he had just like been drinking himself to death all through the 80s with like Coke and drinking. And he was like, I'm going to go ahead and do this Jim because he had done the original Muppet movie. He wrote Rainbow Connection. Really? Yeah. And and, um, and like moving right along moving right and all along, those yeah. songs. Um, and so Jim Henson died two months after. No, two days after he came out of rehab. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Jesus, that sucks. And uh, he wasn't even sure if he's going to do music anymore. And when they started doing this, they went directly to Paul. And he was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then it was like the story about redemption. And he like sunk his heart into the like lyrics and that makes so, so much sense it is because they're so moving like i cannot watch that movie or listen to the it feels like christmas song without absolutely cry <laughs> <laughs> it's so beautiful and i love it damn it's a good movie yeah muppets watch rule it. muppets are great muppets are jim henson the best. Was great. <laughs> it sucks that their like comeback hasn't been so spectacular right but i still have faith I have faith that there is a Muppet reboot that's coming that will be great. I've always said Muppet Matrix. I think the Muppet, Muppet Matrix, Matrix. Is, is the move, yeah. And, like, get the Wachowskis in. Like, cyberpunk ma- Muppets. Or I mean, like, literally, literally remake the Matrix shot for shot with the Muppets. Which one is the real guy? Hmm, good question. <laughs> because Neo is Kermit. Neo has to be Kermit. Okay. And Trinity has to be Miss Piggy. Okay. Um, I don't have anyone else cast in mind, but like Kermit as Neo is very important because there has to be the shot where they do like the freeze frame, but his arms wiggle. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And every time he dodges bullets, it's going to be so fucking funny. (laughs) I think it would be kind of funny if it's Agent Smith. Oh, it I has think it would be, be kind of funny Smith. if all yeah, of yeah. the all of the good guys are Muppets and then the main antagonist is a is a real dude. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Morpheus could do it too, but I think you're probably right. Yeah, I um, think, but I think it has to involve the Wachowskis. Like, it absolutely must. Okay. Like, I think it would be great if they literally just remake it with the same <laughs> creative team, but it's the Muppets now. <laughs> so. Let's get into movie news. Okay, movie news. We got three stories this week, and they are in order of how infuriating they will be. <laughs> okay. Start on a on a lighthearted fun one. News this week came out that Universal, according to them, accidentally did not finish Cats. Right. They did a firmware update for yeah. the new Cats because they, like a video game company or Kanye West, release an unfinished project. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just completely apparently Taylor Swift's hand is just obviously visible in the first one uh-huh. like her real human <laughs> hand the stories that I've heard about like how bad the animation is in it are so funny like I've heard their feet clip through the floor all the time Ooh, it's Bubsy 3D like I've heard that there's like weird uh, like rotations that they do that don't uh-huh. look like there's any physics involved it's like they literally just like rotated it on its axis oh my god I've heard so many things about how bad it was and I, I am so mad that we as a podcast it. are extremely upset that we haven't seen this and cannot report back to you anything but rumors I'm so upset because it looks so funny and now i want to i'm dying to see this movie i know it's gonna become like a cult classic <laughs> yeah now. well i can't wait till some enterprising projectionist 
knew what he had and yeah. clearly ripped it to his computer and is now going to wait until the heat is off this movie to upload it to a private tracker. And mm-hmm. then we can watch the real. It's the for sure real, out there because they didn't. Like, definitely out there. <laughs> they didn't spend the money to like have it get black bagged. Like they didn't go out to every theater and be no. like, you get rid of that. No one sees it again. No. <laughs> We're burning it. Yeah, it's like, already not making its money back. <laughs> they're not yeah, spending no, they're more money sal- on it. They're salvaging what they had. They don't care. As a matter of fact, I would imagine all of this stuff is, they're probably playing into it. Because you can't be like, no, no, it's actually good. You'd be like, uh, yeah, I guess see our shit movie. Yeah. It's probably like the better, the better tactic here. Yeah, you start to just kind of market it as the, like, so bad it's good yeah. movie. And then... Like old school. I remember specifically there was a trailer after the movie Old School with Will Ferrell came out Uh that was like big quotes of like one of the worst films of all time. (laughs) Juvenile. Insulting. Just like one star from the New York Times. Like just like really leaning hard into how bad critics hated it. That was um, when I was in high school. That was what my band did. We had like on our MySpace page. (laughs) We had like a little section that said like press. Right. And then it was just all the worst quotes anybody wrote about us anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's it's not a bad marketing move it's a if good you really one. think about it. Yeah. And I think it was probably worked. I mean, old school is beloved. And I don't think audiences hated it, mm-hmm. but it was, it was sort of, I think they felt comfortable being like, this is a comedy. Who gives a shit what the critics think? We're yeah. doing fine. Let's do this funny trailer. Yeah. Where it's for like, sure. look at how much critics hate it. Go make your parents mad or whatever. Dude, with cats, honestly, the real tinfoil hat take here is, <laughs> is this is on purpose is that this was all on purpose from the get-go <laughs> and that this was understood to be the case because cats i don't know like how in like musical theater world you are cats doesn't exactly have a sterling reputation to begin with no andrew lloyd Webber is not respected he's not respected this musical is one of the most reviled in broadway history among real heads and but also the, the costumes successful. are famously bad and the set is famously lame, <laughs> and everything about it is exactly like this. And so when this came out, it's like, it was already baffling to think that they were going to make a movie out of this right. because nobody likes it. Yes. And it's been out of Broadway for so long at this point <laughs> that even the people who, like, the mass consumption appeal of it is gone. Because it used to be like the thing that you'd like go to New York and see because it was the longest running show. And now nobody's thought about Cats in like 15 years, probably. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. They made a movie out of it, which was baffling. And then now it's coming out and they're like, yeah, the Cats movie sucks. And you're like, yeah, no shit. The Cats movie sucks. <laughs> Everyone knows Cats sucks. <laughs> no one was confused about that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably very possible, I think. Yeah, so speaking of um, cynical media plays at building hype for your otherwise unremarkable movie, <laughs> Greta uh, Gerwig. Our, our second story this week is that Little Women yeah. is being sandbagged by men. Bernie bros. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so Little Women came out two days ago. No idea. No idea. I had no idea. Literally, the first thing I heard about this movie was that men aren't seeing it. Yeah. And I was like, what is it? (laughs) Greta Gerwig, 
a pretty famous actress at this point, and I think she even directed some stuff yeah, she that directed, has been pretty uh, well received. Didn't she make Lady Bird? Or was she yes, in Lady Bird? I think she directed Lady Bird. Yeah. Um, she was in Frances Ha. Point is, is that she's you know gotten a lot well-known of... Well-known property, yeah. Since her Mumblecore days, uh-huh. she has now become a well-known property. Directed a remake of Little Women, yeah. um, which is a beloved book. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, I did not know that was even coming. Yeah. And I don't not pay attention to movies. Like, I know when things are coming out. I watch yeah. trailers. I care about <laughs> movies. Literally no clue that no clue. it was coming, or but it was out. It had been out. <laughs> and people were upset that, quote unquote, men, yeah. <laughs> half of the country had not seen it. So and did I you read like, the article? The, so there's two of them. About? There's the uh, there's a Vanity Fair one and there's a New York Times one. The Vanity Fair one is from like a week ago. That was like Little Women has a men problem. A week ago. A week ago. So it's before the release. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's they're saying like uh, early screenings have had like huge reception. Everyone loves this uh. movie. They're like the the critics are raving about it. But the the early audiences are all women there's no men coming to see it and then also i guess like the golden globes and the uh screen actors guild awards have come out and little women didn't get any nominations basically they got like a couple not a lot and so they're saying who cares this is the result of men (laughs) it's the result Uh of men's indifference towards little women right and so then uh new york times or regular sized women (laughs) (laughs) sorry So New York Times this week ran a second story on this that was essentially just like like a quote tweet of this yeah, where they were like, men are being dismissive of little women. Surprise. (laughs) Are you shocked? So basically what this comes down to is that they're saying that men hate this movie because it's women and that's why it's not doing well. But I think we can both agree... (laughs) That we did not know this movie was coming out until yeah. just now. If anybody is silencing Little Women, it's the studio. <laughs> you need to be platforming Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop deplatforming Little Women studio that is releasing it. Yeah, whoever it is, I yeah. don't know. The, well, the, I mean, there's been no marketing material for it. Yeah, I, I the they, it seems like they invested all of their marketing budget into astroturfing a Twitter argument. Yeah. Like, it has to be the case. It's the only thing that makes sense. And I watched the trailer. I, a man, watched the trailer, and I quite liked it. I would like to see it. I like Greta Gerwig. I like the Nona Ryder one. Yeah. I think it's cute. So the, Would okay, I have Timothy Shalom? I literally have not seen any... I still, to this day, have not seen any marketing material for it yeah i didn't look up the trailer trailer looks good okay i'll watch it i'll probably go see it i I probably won't go see it yeah i'll probably wait i'll probably wait (laughs) (laughs) because who cares yeah well so so i read the article the the new york times one and like some of the shit that they're throwing out there as like you know possible reasons why it's going poorly right so initially it's just like men are being dismissive of it men don't like it and then they're like other alternatives could be uh, it's released up against Star Wars, right? <laughs> which is fully insane to do and to expect to have a good. Wait, box it was the same opening. weekend. Yeah, no, literally two way. days ago. Yeah, obviously, you're not gonna beat fucking Star Wars. Little nobody women. is with a with a mid to low budget adult drama period piece. Like, yeah. what are you fucking out of your mind? You 
fucking nuts. Who so there's cares? that. Then she's the the author is like could also be a uh, general uh, remake and adaptation fatigue. Also, re- also realistic. very real. Uh, there's been I read in the article eight of these. They've made this movie eight times. Really, yeah. I only know about the Winona Ryder one. It's an old ass book. They've been making movies out of it since there's been movies. Probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Um, and then also just I don't know, like who the fuck cares? Yeah, I'll watch it later. I'll watch it later. <laughs> Get off my fucking case, <laughs> mom. <laughs> Yeah, but like I said a few episodes ago, like movies get killed by marketing. Like yeah. they if they don't believe in a movie and they for some reason put dump it on the weekend that's the last Star Wars comes out, yeah. a movie that a generation of children, men and women, yeah. have been looking forward to since they were a child like i mean i'm sure it sucks i haven't seen it i don't care not the point the point is is that no matter what it's star wars it's fucking star wars (laughs) like if you made the choice to put it out on the weekend that that comes out and then you do not even market it then why would anyone see it of course no one would see it not to mention you put it out a week before fucking january the graveyard of cinema. Yeah. Everybody knows if you don't think something's going to do well, you throw it on January. Yeah. You're putting it's out... It's when all the best movies come out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no fucking shit. Like, every Charlie Kaufman movie has come out in January. Really? Yeah. Eternal Sunshine came out in January. Whoa. Adaptation came out in January. Like, all of the best Spike Jones movies, they all... Like, Where the Wild Things Are came out in January. Oh yeah, or like February. Yeah, like yeah. Some, they always then, yeah. dump the best movies because they don't know what the fuck to do with them. Right. Yeah. So all the best movies come out in January, and, and this may be a great movie. Yeah, maybe. it looks it's, good. It's probably fucking fine. It looks good, <laughs> and apparently, like the trailer is like giving nothing away. That's the other thing that they're saying is that like the trailer doesn't really um, portray that it's kind of like an experimental, weird timeliney thing that they're doing with it. I don't know. It is. Just looks like a fucking movie to me. Okay. <laughs> the trailer looks like a movie. But I'll but, go see it. Yeah, I don't Fuck know. Fuck it. Now I'm now I have to. <laughs> yeah. Because so I have to make a point. <laughs> About men. About men. <laughs> which you are one of. I am a man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean like it's like the market forces around who makes money in film mm. are so obvious and also mercurial. Sometimes a movie just bombs and it could be because a big cultural thing happens. Like maybe a shooting happens that weekend or something like who knows. And like they're always hiring and firing each other in Hollywood because something doesn't work or whatever. But like Marvel movies fail just as often and they'll be like, oh, well, the Hulk one, you know, like there was yeah. three Hulks before Mark Ruffalo or whatever. Right? right. There's two. Right. So it's like they don't always work, but they're like, we just have to bet big, win big. And that's right. their whole plan right now. So it's like there's no saying that feminism or like misogyny is responsible for the failure of your movie. Yeah. Is so absurd. So because- <laughs> did you see like the, the late breaking story from uh, Teen Vogue? That was about think, anal sex? No. Oh, okay. There was a Teen Vogue today, I think, or maybe yesterday, essentially saying Little Women is too white. The The title of the article and like kind of the way they were tweeting it was a little more incendiary than the article ended up being, which is, you know, 
the woman Laurie and the argument for race bent casting. Yeah. So basically what they're saying is that the story, so the story of Little Women, right, is is that there's this boy being played by Timothy Chalamet who, who kind of becomes involved in their family and then kind of gets attached to one of the sisters and blah, blah, blah. Basically what they're saying in the article actually makes a lot of sense, which okay. is that in the original book, that character is Italian. Okay. And... The boy. Yeah. Okay. And so part of the reasoning for I didn't know that. him becoming involved with the little women is because he is, you know, an outcast of society due to his being Italian in mm. 1880. They're saying in a modern sensibility, it doesn't really make sense that he's like so attached to their family anymore because he's just a white guy and, and he's not really like... You lose the... You lose that, yeah. You lose the reasons, or the sort of cultural uh, denoca- mm-hmm. denotation of what's happening. So I absolutely agree that's with fine. them that you could totally cast a person of color in that role and, and gain that back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that seems fine. I, I would like to see a more faithful... But it's like, I, I just... It's like, why do we have to always be making... Whenever anyone is saying, like, let's have more representation... Just forget about the old works then. Like, don't yeah. make anything written by white people in the 1800s. Like, yeah. write new story. <laughs> well, so that's what, like, kind of the the buzz around black Twitter has been around this article, where essentially they're saying, like, like no, just make another thing. Like, there's plenty right. of stories by black writers from that time period that you could make a movie out of, sure. and it will ring truer to the black experience because it's written by black people. Right. Like. I mean, it doesn't, it, like, I think the right thing to do would cast an Italian. And it's like, because at the time... Yeah, get Ralph Macchio. Itali- Who's, <laughs> <laughs> like, probably really old now. Yeah, he is. But, like, I don't, it wouldn't read now, though. Because it's like, who cares? What's an Italian, like, an Italian yeah, guy doesn't see. You'd like have to anything. do some amount of, like, extra lifting at this point to, right. to make a scene where, you know, he goes into town and they're like, yeah, you fucking... Guinea pasta eating piece <laughs> yeah. of shit. Get out of here, you smarmy, not white at this point in history, little shit. Get out of here. You know, like yeah. who cares? Who cares? It would be yeah. weird. Uh, so do a different. Either I think make another movie. For fuck's sake, there's been eight of them. Right. We don't I need another little women. To, it's fine to ignore it or not. Yeah, but it's like who cares? Because it's little women. So either yeah, just do yeah. a different. Do something else. If do you're something cry else. About race. Twisting or whatever they called it in this fucking article. Yeah, what did they say? Race, race bend. Race bending. This is like an air bend. Yeah. <laughs> Avatar, the last race bender. <laughs> Sorry, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, that's it's Trudeau and Dolezal. <laughs> All right, so our last last story last of, news. Of, of movie news. Disney as of the end of 2019, has produced eight out of the top ten highest-grossing films of the year. That sucks. Yeah. I hate them. Sucks dick. <laughs> I mean, that's a monopoly. Yeah, it it definitely is at least getting there. But it's the thing that I was thinking about when I read this is that even if you make a compelling case, even if you get out there and you say, Disney's a monopoly, we need to break them up, they can't own this much of the box office. This is ridiculous. All of that's going to do is just open the door for like Sony. Oh yeah. You yeah, know what of I mean? Course, like obviously. It's because in America like it doesn't matter anymore 
there's no competition like the fiction of like capitalism being like a competitive market where anybody can just like make their own billion dollar <laughs> movie mm-hmm. is like silly it yeah. sounds silly on its face to everybody um so it's just we know it doesn't work like that but it's funny because there was rules before rko 20th century fox there was like the big three or whatever mm-hmm. paramount i think was the other one and they all used to own the studio and the distribution companies and the theaters oh. and so when they would own those things those those three things they called it being fully vertically integrated mm-hmm. and that basically just like that's not only a monopoly of one industry but what the government considered three different industries yeah and so in those cases would like paramount movies only be shown at like a paramount theater yes so this is very much exactly what Disney's doing with Disney Plus. Right. Well, they made it illegal because what was happening was like they were having actors only be allowed to sign contracts to make their movies. Mm-hmm. Like if you were an RK, you know, if you were a Paramount actor, you couldn't make a RKO movie. Right. Like you were you would get dropped or you'd get sued, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're basically like chained to these companies. Um and so everyone was complaining. You couldn't do, do, you know, same with writers. Yeah. You had to work at the studio. Um, nobody was even, they wouldn't even accept people's like spec scripts or whatever. So basically the government was like, this is absurd. You can't do any of this. <laughs> this is so they made fully vertical integration illegal. Mark Cuban uh-huh. actually <laughs> uh, started Magnolia Pictures. Okay. Uh, he started Landmark Cinemas. And he started a 2048 distribution. Okay. Um, all separate companies that he owned. Mm-hmm. And it started this weird legal battle where they were like, this is fully vertical integration. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. He's like, well, I'm doing indies. Like, I'm not comp- competing with, you know, Disney and 20th right. Century Fox. And they were like, no. Yeah, still <laughs> That's no. not what the law yeah. says. Um, but I think they started chipping away, these billionaires started chipping away at, well, like, what does it really mean? Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, like, in the age of streaming, like, is that the same as a movie theater? Or right. is that kind of where this is coming from? Is it kind of like how, like, Uber and Lyft have managed to get around every law that regulates taxis by just being like, yeah, but we're an app? Yeah, we don't know. We don't own that. That's not us. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know, I'm I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Disney going forward, because there's only so much more of this that can happen before there's some sort of conversation about it. Right. I mean, that's what happens. Eight out of ten is already so much. It's insane. Like, if next year they have ten out of ten, for sure, someone's got to talk about well, it, right? I, you know, the question, the, my question is, is like... Okay, that's 10 movies, but mm-hmm. out of the 500 movies in the theater, how many right. were directly going to Disney, regardless of how much money they make? And mm-hmm. I bet it's a fucking lot. Like, I bet it's half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they own everything. They own so much now. They and they're own- only getting more. Mm-hmm. They're not, like, in this article that I read about this, you know, about the, the 8 out of 10 thing, part of what they were talking about is that, like, just their returns from those eight movies this year pays off and gives like 20% profit on their purchase of Marvel in whole and uh, Lucas in whole. Christ. Just the money they made this year off of Marvel and Star Wars and, and Frozen and Toy Story. Right. Pixar. Yeah. 
it's really absurd. And I mean, like, that's the thing. The contradiction cuts to a point where it's like, literally all of this stuff is the same company. Yeah. And there's no, there's no voting with your dollar in terms of like what you want to see, what kind of movies get made. Uh, And then people start going other places and then people start getting mad. And so that's when things change, hopefully, but probably not though. Cause the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, it's clearly different from Amazon where there's like a genuine, like mainstream public understanding that Amazon is bad, whether or not everybody is acting on it and not ordering from Amazon, totally different story. But everybody everywhere seems to understand like Bezos is making too much money yeah, and Amazon is too big of a company. Everyone's a little bit worried about them. I don't feel the same public sentiment about Disney. I don't think people are talking about it the same way. Yeah. Well, I think it's because that Disney has had like a decades of propaganda for themselves being like this lovely thing. The little that mouse. you want to have in your life because their whole roster of things is so beloved to you and your yeah. family and your children and your childhood. And it's like, sure, Disney is doing things that aren't the best always, but they st- I still like the movies. You know, it's like yeah. it's people's like understanding of it. And it's right. like, no, it's all bad. <laughs> It's like, um, like, what do they call it? the parasocial relationships sort of thing? But like, with I mean, I guess with fictional characters, so I don't know if it's the same. thing. Yeah, no, it's different. But, but like, essentially, like, it's like they it's cherish your, them. Like your emotional attachment to fake characters yeah. is what's keeping you from having a rational opinion about Disney as a company. Mm-hmm. And like, fuck, I feel it too. Like, I definitely have a sense of like when I'm criticizing Disney, I'm also thinking to myself, like, I'm always having memories of. Yeah. Disney World and like Aladdin and and all these like properties that they have and now they're just adding more to it with you know Star Wars my whole history with Star Wars now is tied up in this and fucking Pixar and all this like yeah it's outrageous (laughs) I remember though when I was a kid my uncle Mm -hmm. I was probably nine or ten he gave me this book that he had read called Mouse Tales Mm -hmm. and it was like um stories from behind the like from underground the magic kingdom or something yeah and it was all these like it was all these like stories of people who had worked for disney um just telling you like their dirty secrets and Uh stuff and like there was a whole chapter of like people who died in disneyland and like (laughs) and like in disney world that like disney would cover up Uh like all because people you know hundreds of thousands of people go to their parks every year people fucking die there and sometimes it's their fault right and it's like they have since this the 90s like been covering up like legal cases and like keeping them out of the media and like how deeply their tentacles go to like keep the facade of them being like this perfect little pleasure zone of is uh really crazy I remember reading that at like 10 years old and be like, this is wild. (laughs) This is so crazy. Um, So I've always kind of been like, yeah, I like Robin Hood, but they're not like good people. Yeah. Like who make this. (laughs) Um, But yeah, fuck Disney. Fuck Disney. As a company. You can like uh, the movies and the cartoonists who work there, I'm sure are nice people. Mm -hmm. Like they deserve the freedom to make whatever they want. You know, I hope that they continue making good things and like, I like cartoons i love it and i yeah. and i like 
those I like a lot of products, what they make. But fuck them. They deserve to die. <laughs> yeah. Fucking drag the rat out into the street. Yeah. Off with his head. Yeah. Fuck the castle rat. We don't like him. <laughs> Poor Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> that, that's a cartoon. All right. I hackers. Yeah. Oh, hackers. So when did you first see Hackers? I think... I saw it maybe a year or two after it came out, but I remember seeing the trailer on TV and I remember distinctly. So the, the scene towards the end where they're at the phone booths uh, and, yeah. and he's talking to the plague on the phone and he's like, well, maybe I'm not, but we are you asshole. I remember that being in the commercial for it. He said asshole, not TV? asshole, but I mean like, but him saying like, well, maybe I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is in the commercial. And I remember I was like old enough at that point that I was still like, playing pretend with people and i remember like integrating that into my pretend (laughs) oh hell yeah um (laughs) so deeply affecting yes 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 and then i probably saw it a few years later and then uh we owned the vhs growing up and i probably watched it a million times i know this (laughs) movie like the fucking back of my hand okay so i saw it a little bit later i was like probably 10 or 11 and the coolest guy that I knew Uh um, and liked a lot um, was like, have you seen Hackers? You'll like it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's watch it. And he had it on VHS tape and showed it to me. And that was the first time I saw it. So I was really young. Yeah. But it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Uh I was like, wow, you're so cool. And this movie's so cool. This movie's so cool. I love everything about it. And I want to be a hacker now. Uh Um, and then I think I saw it maybe once or twice, like as I grew up, but mm. not that many times. Really? Like I, it was not a thing that, I mean, I, I was kind of past the point of like watching things as a kid, you know, like I, yeah. I sort of was just watching new things, I guess. Like, right. Like, yeah. I, I wasn't in like the, I want to watch this movie every day. Um, actually that happened to me with the matrix. So <laughs> I guess I wasn't entirely past it. Right. But this one, like I liked it and I thought it was really cool. And then I watched it a few more times throughout my life, but I, I didn't, I don't know at the back, like, the back of my hand, like I do with the matrix. Yeah. Um, but it was fun to watch it again mm-hmm. and see how poorly everything aged. Yeah. Um, but how not poorly some of it aged, I yes. think. But okay. So let's really quick synopsis of the movie hackers. Okay. Is, uh, Dade Murphy, Dade. Uh, Dade Murphy. We open with Dade Murphy as a child. Uh, code name Zero Cool. Uh, <laughs> Zero he's, Chill. He's like a little child, and he accidentally makes a virus that like ruins America. Uh, yeah. the 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 whole stock market goes down like yeah, seven he, he points. Crashes the stock market. He like crashes all these systems that uh, are important or whatever. Anyway, the point is that the cops are like, you can't do that anymore. And the judge says like, the you can op- never touch a fucking computer again. The movie opens with him being swatted. Yeah. Like the SWAT team comes like to his house. The literal SWAT team comes to his house. And this is in 1988 is when that happens. Right. So this is like early days of hackers even being understood as a thing that exists. Like, War Games, I think, is probably the earliest, like, mention of somebody hacking on film. The writer of Hacker's Manifesto mentions War Games. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, we'll get to that. Okay, so so, so, uh, then we we flash forward to uh, Dade is now 18. It's his 18th birthday, and he's now allowed to touch a computer again. He and his mother have moved to New York, 
where they now live. He's very upset about it, uh, so he takes it out on innocent computer systems. <laughs> and so he he immediately just gets right back to it. Like, right. not a moment passes before he's hacking a TV station. Uh, he has an encounter with another hacker named Acid Burn. Then he goes to school. Not in person. Not in person. In the in, in, in the in the uh, digital world. He, Acid Burn owns the TV or has yeah. hacked into the TV station, and so they start a rivalry online. Right. So we'll we'll come back to this in more detail. But but basically, he goes to school. He meets all these other hackers who live in New York. They yep. all become friends. Then uh, their little shit friend Joey accidentally hacks too good of a computer and the <laughs> cops have to get involved and they're like, you can't do that, man. So he goes to jail and then they uncover through investigating this that uh, that actually the computer he hacked was its own hacker making a virus that was going to steal all this money from a big company and then capsize oil tankers as a way of covering for that. Yeah, that part was unclear. So they all got to hack real good to stop this from happening. <laughs> then they do the end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Bryn. That's basically it. Yeah, that's okay. most of the movie, yeah. Okay. So, upon rewatching, Upon rewatching, What did you think? It is undeniably fun. Mm-hmm. It is nonsensical and strange in a way I didn't really remember. Um, it's like more surreal like, it feels in parts like a Gilliam movie. Mm-hmm. Not like a movie where the 90s tries to misunder- like misunderstands technology a little. Right. Like, a movie where they are trying to make a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And I did not remember that at all. Like, what specifically are you thinking of? Uh, like, just the way they dress and, like, uh-huh. the way, like, where the plague works. Like, <laughs> feels like... It doesn't feel like... They make choices like the plague skateboarding that don't feel like they're inspired by literally anything yeah. in their research, but just like trying to make it seem like a world that is different yeah. than ours. Uh-huh. Not our they're not here in a in the real world. They exist on another plane. Right. <laughs> um and and it seemed like very in that sense, like very early, kind of like an inspiration for the Matrix, especially with the telephones, yeah, and like the way they all sort of like are interacting on this this level of magic that exists outside of our understanding. But what's funny about it and doesn't make it the Matrix is that the screenwriters and the filmmakers also do not understand that world at all. <laughs> okay, so. They kind of do. But and there's really some interesting places don't. where they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, but we'll they, come back to that. They kind of understand the limitations yeah. of what hackers can do, but only a little bit. Like, there's they, they've seen glimpses of the real world that these mm-hmm. people inhabit, and there's it's like a fuzzy mirror of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely trying to make a more, like, screen palatable version of it at the very least yeah but the the screenwriter as i understand it like spent a lot of time hanging out with the guys who make um 2600 the hacker quarterly Mm -hmm. uh, magazine and kind of getting to know them and i think more so than anything else like the culture of of hackers yeah so what's interesting about the movie is I think that like a lot of the tech doesn't make sense and like the hacking is is not exactly real although some of it is um the thing that they absolutely nail in a lot of places is cultural things right where like these weird little things that you wouldn't even think to put in a movie because 
you'd put these in if there was a large market of hackers that you're trying to sell this to. Okay, I see. But there definitely isn't. But there isn't. Yeah, they treat the <laughs> movie it's... as if like they're trying to appeal to the hacker market by giving them <laughs> some cultural touchstones so that they can be like, okay, okay, this is legit. Like weird little things though, like uh, like the crossover into bootlegging culture. Like this is before illegal downloading was a thing, right? There's no yeah. Napster yet, but they they show very early on that serial killer Matthew Lillard's character makes bootleg tapes and sells them outside of the club that they all hang out at. Right. Just weird little things like that where you're like, yeah, there is early crossover between those two cultures, and that's something that they just threw in there for fun. Also, I was very surprised how they include freaking yes in the movie and teach you and exactly do, how to do it <laughs> but also don't really explain what it is uh-huh. like they don't explain that that stuff is 100 percent correct mm-hmm. like almost all the tech of that is real yes um and they don't explain much of it they like, sort of do though the razor and blade scene where no, they know. teach you how to do it is almost 100 percent accurate how you do that but it's interesting because they i guess it's funny because I'm not a hacker, mm-hmm. but I work in tech and I know a lot about technology. So it, I'm kind of like a weird person to to talk about this because it's like, I remember before I saw this movie, mm-hmm. I had was on the internet when I think a lot of people weren't. Yeah. Like I knew I was using Usenet. Mm-hmm. Like I could, you know, navigate around a command line and like I knew what computers were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when I saw it, I thought it was really cool as a fantasy movie. Right. You know, because it's like every time they're using a computer, there's CGI. Yes. <laughs> right. Because it's like it. I think as a kid, I I, I registered it as the future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. Where it was like, oh, they're in the future where a virus looks like a looks dude. like a person. Yeah. Who's like this weird thing. And it's like. I understand now that they were making filmic choices Mm -hmm. of being like, well, how do we make this look like something? Yeah. Where it's like, well, okay, all of their computers will be graphical. And like when they're hacking in, it'll be like a little game where they're like shooting each other. Yeah. Ducks and like you're trying to shoot the ducks or whatever. (laughs) Um, And there's like wire, like when they're talking about the, the boats capsizing there's like wireframe schematics of boats and it's like well don't let it capsize um none of that makes any sense right but i understand it now and it doesn't really matter to me yeah it's more fun to watch it that way well and i've always thought of it as almost like um like a poetic expression for what's happening like you're not supposed to be seeing it as literally what they're looking at you're supposed to be seeing it as like this is how their brain is interpreting it Yeah, sure, that makes sense to me. But at the same time, like, knowing how freaking works, Mm -hmm. like, they don't explain the mechanisms of why. Right. It's sort of just like, in a a situation, with with the real Razor and Blade show, I feel like they would. Mm -hmm. So it feels really strange to me when they're like, just do this. Yeah, and and the people who are watching (laughs) Hack the Planet would already know. Yeah, so it's like... Like, in universe, (laughs) the people watching it already know about freaking. That's, like, entry-level stuff. Right. Just the concept of, like, making free calls. Like, that's the only thing they do. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't make sense for them to be watching it. And then you as a viewer... It only makes sense for you as a viewer to be watching it. Yes. Um, But I also think it's very cool that a... Like, a big mainstream movie 
had a like damn near instruction like instructional video on how to commit a crime i think that's pretty fucking cool it is weird (laughs) there's a ton of weird stuff like that yeah like one of the cool things about this movie that i was struck by rewatching it now is that it's almost like anti-copaganda sure that like kind of what this does is it portrays police and people who do hacking for profit as lame and stupid yeah and then the only cool people in the movie who happen to be the coolest people in the fucking universe (laughs) are kids are all kids who do crimes yes and it's cool that they do crimes and the the moral of the story at the end is you shouldn't have tried to stop these kids from doing crimes (laughs) that was your mistake (laughs) that's true and i think the movie what it really gets right uh and it sounds like we really agree on this part Mm -hmm. is that what the movie does absolutely best is completely understand what the culture of the internet and people who are on the internet was yeah ideologically and aesthetically which was the sort of like faux libertarian slash anarchist yeah thread that ran through the entirety of the internet Mm -hmm. which was like the internet is freedom you can't put reins on it you can't put walls around it you can't charge us for it we will just break it. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. We are going to do whatever we want here. And this is our little area. Yeah. Like, it's fictional. It doesn't, it's not real. It's not the real world. The internet isn't real. And so we're going to build whatever we want inside of it. And I, that was a, to me as a kid um, and as a teenager was incredibly exciting. Yeah. There was this real sense that like you were making your own reality your own society your own morality Mm -hmm. inside of like this is how art gets made this is how art is okay to share and you're like if you put advertising on it you suck and you will fucking attack you and will take destroy your website you know what i mean like (laughs) those were like real fights people were having yeah Um, it's it's the first movie i think that ever and and maybe the only movie ever that portrayed the idea that like the internet is where you are God and you cannot govern God. Right. Right. Like the idea is that the internet is a world completely on its own, separate from our world where if you know how to do stuff, you are a God. You can like, if you have the power to like, if you know how to create, you have the power to create. If you know how to destroy, you have the power to destroy. Nobody can govern you. (laughs) Right. And that's kind of this early hacker mentality, I guess. Yeah. And they really nail it in this movie, I think. Big time, because it seems like one of the only, not not in a bad way, but it seems like one of the main things the screenwriter researched was the Hacker Manifesto and the guy who wrote it. Yeah. Um, which is, if you don't know, <laughs> a thing a guy wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the FBI guys, when they're in the car reading the thing that's like... Um, like, we exist without creed or religion or race or whatever. You know, you can't destroy us. We're anonymous. We are legion, blah, blah, blah. Right. I don't remember. It the, was basically the that. Yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of thing. <laughs> but yeah, the idea is, yeah, that the internet was this like new thing that people were still really optimistic about. This comes back to conversation that we've had before mm-hmm. about Serial Experiments Lane. Yes, it does. <laughs> The early internet. The early internet, yeah. This kind of like early optimism about what the internet could mean for people and what it could be. And like, I think in some ways, like the 
the vision of it that's presented in Hackers is really optimistic. Way more optimistic than Lane, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and I think that it might be the only example I can think of that's like a fully positive and fully optimistic cyberpunk. Huh. Where it's it's got the aesthetic of cyberpunk really, really nailed down. Mm-hmm. But in the end, what they're saying is that the internet is great and it's really cool that people can do this. Right. Well, when was Idoru? Because Idoru is very similar. So in this movie, uh, they call a fictional computer that is extremely big and the most powerful computer. Mm -hmm. The biggest one there ever was, yeah. The Gibson, Uh (laughs) which is a direct reference to William Gibson, Uh who famously wrote uh, Neuromancer, which is sort of, he's the father of not only cyberpunk, but also steampunk with the difference engine. But... Gibson, I don't know how much our listeners know about William Gibson, but he didn't stop after Neuromancer. He wrote a very far future sort of cyberpunk book uh, trilogy called the Sprawl Trilogy. But then after that, he wrote another trilogy during around the time that Hackers came out called the Bridge Trilogy. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of less far flung future. It was like 10 years in the future, 15. It was supposed to be in like the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and that is about a group of anarchists who take over the the Oakland Bay Bridge and live on it as a commune. Okay. Um, and it just is that way. And and virtual reality is coming about and they're sort of like this whole group of hackers who create like a Kowloon walled city in the internet. Okay. And um, they do like win. Um, it's much more complicated than hackers, but it's <laughs> a lot of fun. And I feel like, but this is definitely the only movie I've seen that is even close to as positive of like what could happen mm-hmm. if people had the power to change corporations with their keyboards. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that um, trilogy is one of my favorites and you should definitely read it. <laughs> um, so right around the same time, they were sort of coming up with similar ideas about what was really happening in the hacker community mm-hmm. because he wrote Neuromancer before that was a thing. <laughs> like he was, a, he was writing Neuromancer before people had computers really in their right. homes. It was sort of like an all conceptual and he was just weirdly prescient about it. Uh-huh. So speaking of cyberpunk, what was your takeaway aesthetically from this movie? Cause there's a, there's a very, very distinct aesthetic to this movie that is like, unmatched never done again like the matrix kind of comes close but they never do stuff like this again i feel like the matrix in the real world or the excuse me in the matrix scenes Mm -hmm. before he wakes up or whatever like gets a little close but they're clearly much more goth yes like they're like the wachowski sisters are into like kink and shit and so they're all like <laughs> immediately go into all leather yeah they're all even in leather in the, even in the they, real world like, big like or, strappy me. things that they hold their guns on yeah 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 in the matrix but even before he wakes up like when he's just wearing a t-shirt like everyone else is wearing like bondage gear yeah and then neo um, goes to the horniest club there yeah, ever yeah. was yeah <laughs> um but this movie is sort of like not really interested in that it's funny the the one thing that felt the most out of place like something that I would have actually worn was uh, Kate Acid Burns, mm-hmm. um, just Quicksilver t-shirt. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. just, like, all, it's just a turquoise shirt mm-hmm. with a big Quicksilver logo. Right. Um, but every everything else is like this sort of weird amalgam of Akira Neo Tokyo mo- motorcycle like 
a motorcycle club mm-hmm. and got like hippie shit. Like, yeah. what is serial killer wearing? Serial killer time? is like wearing like hippie outfits, but with punk shirts. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't think to be underestimated is how queer this movie is. Uh-huh. I don't think... I mean, I don't know if they were stopped from being explicitly gay, but like a lot of the characters are fucking real gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Phantom Freak is extremely queer, and then in a later movie, uh, same actor is in Con Air as a uh, as like a full on trans person, as I understand. Okay, it. I've never seen. But that Con actor Air. kind of, I think, has like a I don't know semi iconic status of like a certain type of '90s gay. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also but, Blade and Razor. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, literally wearing like buto drag. Mm-hmm. Um, Huge part of the plot is that uh, when Kate and Dade go on their date, they're both gonna be wearing dresses. Right? There's like a a lot of play with that. There's a scene where she's like rubbing up and down on Dade when he's wearing this like red leather oh, number. Oh yeah, in, in her dream. In her dream. In yeah. her dream, she's like force feminizing him. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> and like, That's and strange. throughout the movie, there's like. It's a touchstone they keep coming back to where somebody has a nightmare and they like wake up breathing really heavy. Right. But hers is very clearly not her waking up from a dream. It's her like just getting up from masturbating. Yeah. <laughs> very clearly. Um, yeah. It's a it's a very sexual movie. Weirdly. Especially because it's supposed to be high schoolers. Mm-hmm. All of these people look 20 They're, over yeah, 20. Yeah. Johnny Lee Miller does not look like a kid at all. <laughs> Some of them are believable. I think uh, Joey is very believably a kid. Yeah, that's true. Um, Freak kind of could be in high school. Freak could be. Like senior. Yeah. But like Matthew Lillard is a guy. Matthew Lillard's an adult. He's an adult. Angelina Jolie is an adult. Yeah. Um, Um, Lord Nikon is 100% like a 40-year-old. an old dude, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But he also doesn't go to their school, so he could actually be an adult in the story. But he's hanging out with these kids. But it does feel like an anime show Uh a lot of the time. Where it's supposed to sort of these like disparate characters. It feels like Bebop in places. Yeah. Um, in that way, where it's just like these weird people who would never be hanging out with each other. Right. <laughs> um, like Ed and Faye, like aren't right. supposed to be friends or something. It's like doesn't make any sense. Like the way that they portray computers has been ripped on since the movie came right. out. It's basically. bad. Like, and it's, I, I it's, mean, like, it's bad <laughs> and dumb. And but also, I don't know. I think it's kind of cute. It's a, it's a clever way that they did it, I think. Right. Like, it's a clever workaround for having somebody type on screen. Well, I think um, I think the f- thing about the f- effects at the time mm-hmm. were cool looking, yeah. right? Like, they were, they were pretty impressive CGI. You know, they weren't trying to look like humans or, or yeah. animals or anything. They were just, like, cool designs. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And it looked cool. And then... Throughout the early 2000s and the rest of the 90s, everyone was like, this is stupid. It mm-hmm. looks bad. It's out, it, you know, but it's now we're in this, uh, now it's come around to yes. looking very cool. Again. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of this is like very in touch with what's cool now. Right, because we're having a resurgence of the 90s. Like when I was a kid, we had a resurgence of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at some of the m- most popular clothing brands, like all they're doing is '90s stuff now. It's yeah. really interesting. As a matter of fact, that shirt is like something that would go <laughs> on the shirt Jeremy is wearing right now is a shirt that would like be in yeah, a vintage totally store see somebody, for like a hundred bucks. I, I got it at a vintage store for like twenty, but uh, it's it, it's the type of thing that like somebody in this movie would be probably wearing. Yes. <laughs> Although it's not quite 
like tech, you know, it's a Raiders shirt for anybody wondering. Right. It's, um, but it, it definitely, we were definitely in a moment where people are looking at the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any real like ideological or cultural reason other than the fact that that's just what fashion does. This is what fashion does. Um, yeah. I think I don't need to look too much into it, but because we are in that right now and like so much of marketing and fashion is, is doing that. Like watching this movie was like, this all looks so fun. Yeah. I'm enjoying watching all of these things. It looks crazy. I think even at the peak of like pre 90s nostalgia, like when this looked the shittiest it ever did, I still think that there's something really cool and clever about using a computer chip fading into a city from Bird's <laughs> yeah. Eye and then fading back into the computer chip. The PCB. Yeah, because it's like. You know, for what it's worth, nobody had ever like done that. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody ever like made the connection that's, that they kind of look like cities. That's the first time I remember seeing it, unless reboot was before it. <laughs> no, reboot was not before it. Well, then there you go. Yeah. Um, but it w- there's a lot of ideas in this that I think change the way people look at the internet. People looked at. I honestly, I think maybe this movie you could even give it a little credit for changing the way people looked at the FBI. Like and hmm. what by by people I mean people our age yeah like it was a part and parcel of a movement against authority mm-hmm. that happened in the nineties for a lot of reasons yeah but like wasn't present in America in the eighties that's true yeah you know I, I mean, mean outside of like although I think it's kind I mean, of I mean culture like zeitgeist yeah, yeah 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 like they they hadn't really like pushed like hardcore into the mainstream and stuff like that. But I mean, there was like punk and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like punk and hardcore and whatever. What I was thinking of is sort of this idea of like subculture as a funnel towards the left. Yes. Right. There's like a there's a very distinct pipeline of subculture to leftist politics. hundred percent. And some people stay, some people go, but it is definitely a very you know clear leading point. And this is kind of cool as a mainstream. Like it's it's around the same time as. Rage Against the Machine are doing the same thing. Yeah. I was going to say the reason that you shouldn't overlook how gay the movie is mm-hmm. is because there's a reason that oppressed communities attract are attracted to these kinds of communities of like, I think the internet and especially hackers, it's mm-hmm. like people who get bullied, people who, you know, don't feel like they fit into the mainstream community. Yeah. Like flock to places where you can feel empowered by just learning how to do something esoteric Mm -hmm. and like among a community of outsiders right like that's punk hackers like all of it is sort of part and parcel of this sort of feeling empowered by your community and with hackers specifically your hobby yeah like and this movie makes the best hacker like literally a wizard Mm-hmm. Like the scene where he makes the sprinklers go off and right. like destroys his school and just like stands there with an umbrella is so cool. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> like who didn't want to be zero cool in that moment yeah. at the very least, even though he's a very weird actor now in ret- retrospect. Yeah, he's on that Sherlock show, right? Oh, I don't know. He's but in the, the case, not case closed, that's an anime. Oh, elementary. Elementary. <laughs> um no, but in the movie, he has such a weird accent. Yeah, he's like Scottish or something. Okay, all of his lines reading he's were terrible. very strange. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, bad. It's, his American accent is unbelievably bad, but it kind of works in a weird way. So like, maybe it's just like less of a uh, uh, good acting thing and more of a like earworm type of thing where like, 
the way that he says stuff is so off kilter and weird that it gets stuck in your brain in a weird way. Like I was saying, like the scene <laughs> with the phone where he says, well, maybe I'm not. Maybe like I'm I not. say it the way he says it because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how he said it. And it's weird and noticeable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one of the th- things that the movie does best accidentally uh-huh. is be a little poorly written because they are so believably awkward. Mm-hmm. Like if they were great actors, they would seem too cool. Yeah. Like they're so cool because they're almost relatable in like as huge nerds, especially right. Freak and uh, Serial, because mm-hmm. they're like I know those guys, those fucking insane weirdos, yeah, <laughs> who like aren't really good at anything but this, and they have like they don't care what they look like. Right. Like Serial dresses cool because it's a movie, mm-hmm. but like in real life, he would smell really weird. You yeah, know what I mean? he like, would look like a psycho. Yeah, they're like. Yeah, Lord Nikon is just wearing a robe, like a like yeah, a yeah. druid robe. <laughs> yeah, and you think it's gonna be like the Matrix, where he's like a Morpheus type character, where he like closes the door and he's like, "What do you know? Do you even own a computer? Yeah, or whatever." And then like, and then he's like, "Not nah, just fucking with you." Yeah, he's, like, just he's, a like, goofball. he's like an anime nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of like fashion and aesthetic and stuff, did you notice uh, on Lord Nikon's laptop is a Supreme sticker? Yes. Isn't that wild? It's, <laughs> 1995. Supreme was a year old. They're at that in point. New York. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it should be in, that's like an LA thing. Is it? I don't know. They were where on they Fairfax. Oh. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess in, I don't remember it. I mean, I was in LA at that point and I only saw it very rare, rarely mm-hmm. from skaters because right. I knew like skaters. I mean, I guess he could have been a skater in the story. I guess, but like, I mean, I guess they were like all rollerblading and shit, which was cool at the time. It was very cool at the time. And a cool. little known fact about New York in the 90s, but that was the uh, primary mode of transportation. Honestly, people didn't take the subway. People rollerbladed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange that people don't do it more now. Yeah, I've seen a couple people recently in the neighborhood rollerblading. And I keep thinking like, that seems like a very efficient way to get around. <laughs> I used to love rollerblading. I rollerbladed everywhere. Yeah. Damn. It was great. Bring him back. Bring it back. <laughs> 2020, baby. We're we're unshackled. Okay, so let's let's talk about individual performances. Okay. Uh, I, mean, was- I think we've talked about Johnny Lee Miller not not doing a great job, but also kind of doing a great job. Yeah, they're all sort of believably. I don't, I, I'm trying to think of a word that isn't um, offensive. No, they're they're believably teenagers. Yeah, they well, all they are, don't look like teenagers, but they are believably awkward and sort of consciously cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, performing something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they're they're performing cool, right? In within the role of performing their character. Yeah, like, and that really works, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like Angelina Jolie's character, mm-hmm. who's doing Angelina Jolie in this movie, yeah, and she's the one who's most for most of the movie seems the most realistically cool mm-hmm. like she doesn't care she's a she's a badass yeah she has know. a hot boyfriend who she's making out with on the motorcycle yeah you do, they don't she you, doesn't care how often her titties are out it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah uh Twice, they don't by the way <laughs> okay they, <laughs> but who's counting uh but they don't let you they don't let you know too much about her for a yeah. while into the movie the first time you really get a sense of her performing cool is her fucking handwriting. Yes. On the chalkboard. Yes. Is like 
a mixture between like graffiti writing and black metal writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she and was like weird. Like that was the first time that really resonated with me because that's such a high school thing. Like mm-hmm. I definitely tried to write as like cool as possible. Totally. Um, and I mean, I you know having done graffiti until I was probably too old to be doing graffiti uh-huh. um, Same. <laughs> like definitely took a lot of pride in it and like right. cared about it a lot and no one cared but i cared um and that was like oh she's a kid you know that she's a little kid who's making her writing cool yeah that was great um but then the first the real time you see her like start to sort of nerd out is when she literally nerds out. They like sneak into her room. Yeah, she's to like look about at to her. like have sex, and then they're like, "Hey, we're just looking at your computer." And she's like, "Great, I'd rather do that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking rules. I love that she's so like, much. Actually, okay, I'm gonna triple the RAM, and I'm gonna. <laughs> and it's like oh, okay now she, <laughs> and like the sort of like gender awkwardness of all of them sort of falls away once mm-hmm. they started talking about computers. Yeah, um, and some of that stuff makes a little sense and in terms of like actual tech and some of it doesn't, but like, it's all very believable that they're just sure, yeah. nerding out together. Uh-huh. Um, and that parts once, once they all sort of get to do that, I think their friend group gets a lot, gets really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, they all have very good chemistry together. I think yeah. Dade is, uh, Johnny Lee Miller is really the only kind of odd man out. I feel like he doesn't ever, warm up as much as you'd like him to right, but he's supposed to be the new guy so it works for most sure of it. yeah but then at some point you're like okay but we're past like three quarters now like you should definitely be like warmed up to the group but you're still being like weird and standoffish yeah, yeah. but that's more of a writing thing than a performance thing yes I, I think I agree. Thing, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a performance thing but you you forgive it especially when they find out he's zero cool yeah um and they're sort of like, what? You did that? And that's so cool. And like, he's sort of like embarrassed and you sort of get why there's a, a distance because he's right. like not being completely honest about his life and who mm-hmm. he is. And then once that happens, they sort of are more of a team. So, I don't know. It works in places. Yeah. So, the the sort of person who's the most insane is uh, Fisher Stevens. Yes. The plague. Fisher Stevens, the plague outrageous performance doesn't make any sense yeah. but also still really good <laughs> like i kind of love what a weird asshole he is yes so fisher stevens plays the security manager of whatever company yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that they the that big joey company, accidentally yeah. yeah the whichever company owns the gibson that joey accidentally hacked mm-hmm. um and he is basically a hacker he's basically mr robot yeah, in real life, uh-huh. or not? He's in like, real um, life, but he's the, the real life version of it would be like Kevin Mitnick, or like somebody like that who was at some point in like the eighties, like an infamous hacker, yeah. and then went to jail and helps the FBI to like figure out shit about other hackers, and then went into private security right. as somebody who knows what hackers like do. a fucking snitch, like a snitch, like a sellout, like a sellout and bitch. And to the movie's credit, they frame him that way from the get go. Yes, you know immediately. The moment you beat him, this guy used to be a hacker. He sucks shit now. He's not cool. Yeah. He is an older man. I mean, he's not supposed to be a teenager. He's supposed to be a guy with a job. Yeah. But he's like, wishes he was in the hacker scene. So he like (laughs) dresses insane and he's like clearly rich now. Yeah. And so he wears way over the top shit, even more so than the teen hackers. Yeah. He like rides a skateboard around the office. He like introduces himself with like 
the first thing you ever hear him say is like, never fear, I is here. And you're like, the fuck? <laughs> and then people like try to call him Eugene and he's like, I am the plague. Yeah, and you're like the plague. This is weird how like <laughs> they essentially are having him perform the same way as everybody else in the movie. Right. But because he's an adult, you're like, this sucks. Shut up. Yeah, fuck you, the plague. You, <laughs> you fucking suck. suck. And even there, like Eugene, like yeah. they don't they don't respect him because right. it doesn't matter how good of a hacker he is. He's betrayed the ideology. Mm-hmm. He's betrayed the 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 code. Of he's like, betrayed the code of the hacker, but then he's also betrayed the code of like the straight adult world where those people don't respect him either. Right. They're just like, you're just some weird fucking guy in a trench coat. You know what he is? He's the goth guy on IT Crowd. Did you ever watch IT Crowd? Uh, yeah. Uh, Noel really. Fielding's character, who's like the weird goth IT guy who they keep in the basement. Yeah. And it's just it's a recurring thing where like when there's a problem too big for them to solve, they go in the basement to find like the real guy. And yeah. he's just like this <laughs> weird like vampiric character who like never sees the sun and they like open the door for him. He's like, ah, can I help you? <laughs> Yeah. And he's like that. Nobody he, respects him. <laughs> yeah, you can't ride those two lines. You can't you can't, you know, you can't succeed in the world of like money and caring about like all like caring about business mm-hmm. and hacking communities. Like you can't have respect from either of them. Right. And so he's a tragic figure in that way. Um but also no one cares about that. So it's like you just want to see him fail. Yeah. <laughs> and and Fisher Stevens is pretty much perfectly cast because he's mm-hmm. such a sniveling asshole. <laughs> yeah, he he plays it really well. It's a weird character that he's been given, but I think he does he does pretty well with it. Yeah. My weird take that I came away from this time watching it uh is that I think like per screen minute or whatever, you know, whatever metric we're using for this the person who makes the most use of their time on screen is Pendulette. Okay. I think Pendulette <laughs> absolutely fucking kills it. Like the few lines he gets in this movie, he's the plague's uh, uh, assistant or whatever, yeah. just some other guy who works there. And the first time he encounters him, he calls him like Mr. Belford or whatever. And he's like, my name is the plague. Right. Okay. Mr. The plague. <laughs> Unbelievably yeah. <laughs> perfect line. <laughs> yeah, Pendulette really, really does a great job as someone who is believably in IT and mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit. He's like, he's yeah, he's not, a non-ideological. IT he's not guy. a hacker. <laughs> he's just is a guy who went to a college and is trying to get through his day. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and this is his weird ass boss. This fucking insane like cyberpunk world around him, and he's just like, I, okay, fucking, I'm. I'm Connecting the Ethernet port, I'll type in God. I don't care. I I make seventy thousand dollars a year in nineteen ninety, so I'm pretty I'm set. Fine. Yeah, I'm whatever. not gonna really complain, but I'm not gonna pretend like I'm not annoyed. <laughs> so it's really well cast. Yeah. Um, he looks like he should be there. It's great. I think uh other individual performances that are really good, I think Matthew Lillard. Uh, brings a really good energy to the cast. Yeah. I think he, like, because everybody else can be kind of, like, too cool or, like, too above it or too serious. And Lillard is, like, so perfectly one note in terms of just, he's Matthew Lillard. Yeah. He's, uh, um, he's, like, a I'm trying to think of, like, another actor to compare him to where it's, I mean, like. he's Matthew Lillard. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, a, um, he's, like, a Christopher Walken type. Oh yeah, where you don't hire Matthew Lillard to do anything but Matthew Lillard shit. 
Sure. Which I think is kind of a shame because I actually have heard that he's a very good actor when you give him the chance. Well, did you see Twin Peaks The Return? No. Dude. Is he good in it? Matthew Lillard does something insane in that show mm-hmm. that he's never been allowed to do before. Okay. It's crazy. Uh, uh, I can't, I'm not going to explain it here. It'll take too long. But um, yeah, it's he's he is a really good actor. Yeah. He he, he steals this his episode. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, you know what? Um, Actually, even in SLC Punk, yeah, which is an otherwise like not so great movie, I think he sells the worst line written in that movie, which is the "only posers die." Oh, you know yeah. when at the end when heroin when Bob, Bob dies, dies yeah. and he's like, "Only posers die," and yeah, you're like, "That's a terrible like, line," but he sells it so ooh, well that you're no, like, "Damn, dude!" He's, All right, he's good. I like him, and he had the fucking self respect. Not to do SLC Punk 2. They were trying to do that? They did it. Jesus. Uh-huh. Why would they do you that? You know who did come back? Heroin Bob. He's dead. <laughs> Was <laughs> it a prequel? ghost is in the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. That sucks. Well, you know who sucks in this movie is Lorraine Bracco. Yes. Fuck off. What I feel so bad because is... I love her as an actor, but goddamn, she sucks in this. I, I don't know if it's her fault because I have a suspicion that they ADR'd every single one of her lines. Mm. Like nothing matches up with her for some reason like okay. they forgot to mic her or maybe they did like a weird accent that they were like actually never mind yeah i don't know what happened but like she is awful the fact that she has any lines at all is sort of baffling because mm-hmm. it's like what is the point of her character she basically is like fisher stevens slash the plague um partner in crime i guess yeah like girlfriend but, or whatever yeah but she works there yeah. Yeah. So it's like she works there and then they're maybe fucking and doing this crime together. Right. Um, but she's not necessary at all. No. She kind of serves like a Marty McFly sort of purpose where like to she's there doc. to just like not know stuff and to just like ask questions. Right. So she's basically like the Sigourney Weaver in Galaxy Quest. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say what the computer says. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And so she's a completely useless character, and they give her nothing to do, and she acts like she has nothing to do. Right. Um, and she just says, like, literally just is just, there's a scene where she's just saying what the words they're saying are, with, with like a Cookie! Bat- <laughs> brain cancer! What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Cancer brain! Brain cancer! What are you talking about? Like, it's absurd and yeah. bad and should not be in the movie. They could mute her whole character and you wouldn't miss it. Yeah, I don't know that anybody else is that bad, though. Bunk showing up in the middle of the movie. Bunk from The Wire. I don't know what the actor's real name. Oh. Uh, Who is he in the, the movie? The FBI guy. Oh, okay, yeah. We never seen The Wire? I've seen, like, the first season. Oh, of my it, God. But... <laughs> uh, you should watch The Wire. It's good. Um, Wendell Pierce, maybe? Yes, he's Bunk Moreland. Wendell Pierce. The FBI agent that they harassed throughout the, the thing, right? The main guy, yeah, yeah. The main FBI guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does a great job being a cop because he's a cop guy. Yeah. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. And he's even fun when he starts to get the best of them. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a few times where they're just he's just, like, swatting all of them. And, like, they're, he's really on their trail. And you think he's, like, going to win a little bit. And uh, he's just, like, he's fun to watch, like, doing his job. Yeah. Um, but... They get the best of him. And he's hilarious when he's like, oh, those hackers. Oh, you kids. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that anybody is like particularly bad in this except for her. Uh, the main character is bad. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. But he, I don't know. 
he has his moments. I think you are a little, you like this movie a little bit more because of your nostalgia. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely have some level of like. I watch it with my boyfriend who was just like laughing at it the whole time. Yeah. And he was not charitable. He'd never seen it before. He was like, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. And I was like, well, it does, but I like it because it's cool and it's funny. Right. And it's cute and it's good. And, and it's, it's an aesthetic ideal. triumph, okay? Fuck yeah. off. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I think I think people are pretty bad in it. It's, there are some pretty bad choices. We should mention that, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think I really enjoyed, you know, you, the two FBI agents start reading literally from the Hacker Manifesto. You think this is fucking cool? <laughs> this is commie bullshit. <laughs> And he's right. It is comedy bullshit. Yeah. And I think the movie likes that, or at least knows that hackers like that. Mm -hmm. And they're not afraid. It's like the first kids who are like, I'm not afraid of commie bullshit. Yeah. Maybe that's cool. Maybe libertarianism is cool. I don't know. I'm a child. (laughs) But like, at least they're sort of expressing anti-capitalist. It's the first time American culture kind of gets anti-capitalist. And it's baby steps and it's shaky, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's great to watch. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's a great movie, honestly. <laughs> uh, the only thing I... One thing that I would note in terms of like shit that is not good, uh, just on a very technical level uh, from a screenwriting perspective, what the fuck happens to Freak at the end? I have no idea. Exactly. It's, it's, it's bothered me confusing. since the first time I saw it. Because... Like, the story is that Dade meets Freak first, and then Freak introduces Dade to everybody. Right. And Freak is like, essentially the core of the story is like, these are Freak's friends. Yeah. And then he like disappears. <laughs> and then he gets arrested, and then at the end they're all reunited, and then, well, I guess, uh, whatever. Ho- hope he's okay. <laughs> hope he's okay in fucking jail. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's what the the end of the story is. Is like, hey, sometimes you don't make it out of jail. <laughs> I guess. I mean, but that's true. Like after this movie, you know, while I think a lot of people started being like, "Ooh, it's cool to be a hacker. It's cool to be a elite hacksaws." Yeah. But th- the government was like, "It is time to put all of these children in jail." Yeah. Sorry. Actually, <laughs> it's not cool to be elite hacksaws. <laughs> yeah. You, it's cool, but it's also a crime. Yeah. And you know how we feel about crimes. <laughs> Um, and you know. zero chill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, so they, it's funny because they don't actually do anything good. Mm-hmm. Like they stop the guy from committing a crime. Well, his crime was going to be like an ecological disaster. Right. Because he was going to capsize like and I oil guess tankers. But it seems like they care less about that and more about like this guy's an asshole for, for, fucking with our friend joey and so we're just gonna fuck up his plans well but he was also gonna fuck with them they were all gonna go to jail too. right right so they were just offending themselves it's really so it's not defense, like yeah it's not bad they don't do anything bad everything they do is cool but it's mm-hmm. not like they're like ideologically motivated sure really except they have ethics um yeah and that's it's also good. cool though that they're not like they're not trying to stop him from stealing all the money because the whole yeah, thing is they that don't he's, care about it's that. a shell game. He's doing the he's doing the oil tanker thing to hide from the fact that he's stealing all the money. Right. When they uncover that he's stealing all the money, they're like, that's why he's doing the oil tanker thing. Okay, let's stop him from doing the oil tanker thing. Yeah. They were never at all, even for a moment, like, shit, he's going to steal a lot of money from that company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And I feel like, you know, thinking about it now, 
the screenwriters probably were trying to work a really fine line of being like, well, we have to make them criminals and Mm -hmm. that's cool, but we don't want to make them terrorists. Yeah. Like (laughs) I'm afraid, like they were probably like, we literally can't do that. The studio won't let us like let them blow up the building or end the corporation or do anything offensive. Mm -hmm. So they had to figure out how to get them on the defensive and then do something that doesn't go against the hacker manifesto ethics. Right. But also isn't too like cop shit. So it was probably a pretty fine line to do in 1993 or whatever it is. So, I, you know, kudos to them for doing it, though. I think they did a pretty good job for, like, not betraying the hacker ethic. And it's, like, the only scripts that ever got made that's really like this that, like, portrays a subculture in a way that, like, rings true enough to them that they don't hate it. That also rings true enough to them that it got a whole lot of people into it. Yeah. And then also, just for a broader audience, like, just looks really cool and good. Yeah. There's never been a movie about, like, punk that makes punk seem cool. Oof. It's a big question. I'll like, have to rack my brain. Rock and roll high school, maybe. <laughs> like, not really. Definitely not a mainstream movie. Maybe 24-hour party people or something. Yeah. I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> okay, so, final thoughts on Hackers. Final thoughts, it's a cool movie that I think was very inspiring to a lot of kids. And it's kind of a kid's movie in that Mm -hmm. way. I think it functions more as, it's directed towards teens. It's sort of that early early 90s, like, this is a movie for cool kids, you know, and 20-year-olds, you know what I mean? Like, it it was sort of directed less at adults and more at like high schoolers and college kids. Um, and so it rides a fun line and, and tries to do what it can do. If you care at all about like, um, actualing technology, it will infuriate you. Yeah. It's really upsetting <laughs> in some places. Um, like I said, my boyfriend who is a computer programmer was just like clawing his eyes out <laughs> over it. And I was like, stop, um, um, actualing the movie. Um, it's but- okay to just have fun. Just yeah. watch a movie. I mean, it, it's yeah, <laughs> it, it, it it's hilarious in places, and I think yeah. it's, it's okay to laugh at it um, because the fun parts are still really fun. Yeah, um, and the acting is over the top. It's silly, um, but if you want to watch a fun movie that sort of feels like it was written by someone who just really loved William Gibson mm-hmm. and like kind of wanted to make a William Gibson movie, but knew they weren't actually allowed to <laughs> um it's like a fanfic it's like a it's like a bridge trilogy fanfic yeah and so I, I like it it's a it's a lot of fun and i would recommend it if that's something you want to see yeah i think i also would recommend this obviously i think it's a yeah. fantastic movie i've seen it a million <laughs> goddamn times yeah it's it's really fun and and unique there's really nothing else like it out there they kind of i think they tried to market the movie antitrust as like uh oh my god i saw that movie in the theaters um and there's another (laughs) one i think maybe the net or something like that but there's like three movies that they tried to market as like hackers sequels but they never really like did it again right no i mean antitrust isn't anything like this movie yeah it is kind of cool though well that was that was the first movie i remember being like the whole point is like Bill Gates is an evil person. Right. And that was cool. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while though. Yeah. I was I'd 13 when it, it came out. Yeah. Um, but the net is definitely not anything like this. I don't remember it. Oh, uh, um, the net is hilarious. 
But yeah, I think Hackers is a unique, cool movie. I think even if you don't care about technology, even if you're ideologically like opposed to it, if you like really love the idea of like a regulated internet or whatever, I still think if not just for the consistent high quality of the aesthetic, like I think it's worth seeing if not just for that, like it looks it looks unlike anything else and it's really cool and tied together and it's ridiculous and i mean like i do think it's like fairly stolen from johnny mnemonic and Mm -hmm. like a lot of gibson's work and and blade runner but it's sort of like this weird fanfic of that where it's like what if kids had the money (laughs) and commitment to dress like they really loved johnny mnemonic and blade Mm -hmm. runner and then they did and And then also the city reflected that yeah yeah there's a it's it's cool i think it's fucking cool um yeah it is also fun to see if you live in new york yeah there's some really like big brooklyn monuments that are in that like some of it was shot like where i used to work Mm -hmm. um it's, yeah, the scene where fun to watch. Uh, the plague is sketching behind his own limo yeah. uh, is in Dumbo. Yeah, I, um, I recognized it immediately. Yeah, I recognized it from the, the tram tracks in the road. The point is, yeah, it's a good-ass movie. You should watch it. It's bad. <laughs> it's good. It's everything. And uh, in my headcanon, uh, Freak does stay in jail. Uh, oh, and really? then uh, becomes uh, his character in Con Air. Oh, he transitions in yeah. prison? <laughs> he transitions in prison uh, uh-huh. and becomes, I think the character's name in Con Air is Sally Can't Dance. Sally and, Can't uh, Dance. And she uh, shoots a whole bunch of cops uh, in the boneyard and uh, it fucking rules. <laughs> well, good job, Sally. I think she gets arrested again. Oh. I don't think she gets killed. So, you know, pluses and minuses. <laughs> <laughs> good, good luck, freak. We wish you all the best. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to Generation Loss. Yep. Uh it has been so fun to talk to you. Uh please follow us all on Twitter and press subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah. Listen to our other podcasts, Ballin' Out Super and Beep Beep Lettuce. Um we'll see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Beep on <laughs> <laughs> Another one got caught today. It's all over the papers. Teenager arrested in computer crime scandal. Hacker arrested after bank tampering. Damn kids. They're all alive. But did you, in your three-piece psychology and 1950s techno brain, ever take a look behind the eyes of the hacker? I am a hacker. Enter my world. Mind is a world that begins with school. I'm smarter than most of the other kids. This crap they teach is sports me. I'm in junior high or in high school. I've listened to teachers explain for the 15th time how to reduce a fraction. I found a computer. Wait a second, this is cool. It is what I wanted to. If it makes a mistake, it's because I screwed it up. Damn kid. All you do is play games. They're all alive. And then it happened, a door opened to a world, rushing through the phone line like arrow and through an attic's veins, an electronic pulse is sent out, a refuge from the day-to-day incompetencies is sought, a board is found. You bet your ass we're all alive. We've been spoon-fed baby food at school when you have it for steak. We've been dominated by sadists, or ignored by the apathetic. This is our world now. The world of the electron and a switch. The beauty of the board. We make use of a service already existing without paying for what could be dirt cheap if it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons. And you call us criminals. We explore, and you call us criminals. We seek after knowledge, and you call us criminals. 
we exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you age wars, you murder, cheat, and lie to us and try to make us believe us for our own good, yet we're the criminals. Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. My crime is that of outsmarting you, something that you will never forgive me for. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all, after all, we're all alike.